Welcome to The Red Podcast, a place for bold, inspired, outrageously courageous, and just a tad bit naughty women leaders come together. I'm Elaine Kalila, and I'm the founder of the Priestess Presence Temple, a sisterhood of over 80,000 women. For the past 25 years, I've had the great pleasure and privilege of supporting, inspiring, catalyzing, and initiating women to remember who they are. The Red Podcast is a place where you can come to lean into your edges, listen for that which yearns to be expressed more fully through you, and to say yes to the places that probably scare you. More importantly, I'm going to be talking with some amazing women who are spiritual and grounded, and we're going to be chatting about what it takes for each one of us to step into the legacy of our purpose and fully bring it to the world that we're here to co-create. Your presence is a gift, so I say bring it. We're here to listen to your red, your leading edge, that place of evolution within you. Hope you enjoy the conversations. Well, hello there, my beautiful sisters of the Red Podcast. I am so excited to get to be with you today to share with you one of my dearest sisters, my mm, my soul Anamkara friends, Diana Debro. Hello, darling. Hello, my love. <laughs> what a pleasure to be with you all. Oh, my goodness. So I am beyond excited and honored because I want to share a little bit about who Diana is in my life and the life of so many. She is really an esteemed elder holding a lineage and connection point into the ancient art of anointing, into the ancient art of the Mirafors, the Saint Priestesses, and the Magdalenas. And when I first came across Diana, which was many, many years ago, I felt like I received what had been a missing piece of my own deep spiritual path and also my own kind of core knowing of something that had been with me my whole life, but that I didn't have the words to really speak about. You know, I'd always been one that had been drawn to the essential oils, to flowers, to scent, to the sensuality, but really to the communion with the plant kingdom, with the, with the kingdom of the trees, the roots, and this kind of what I now know to be an alchemical art. And at the time, I didn't know that what, that's what it was, but I was incredibly drawn. And perhaps today I'll share a couple stories about that. The reason that I wanted to bring Diana on with me today is that in the last few years, I've had the great honor of co-creating with Diana the Rosa Mystica Mystery School, which is the home of Diana's teachings and also the home of the teachings that have come through me to do with the Magdalene and who the Magdalene truly is and why she's awakening within us. So Diana, I am excited today to talk to you because I think there is something happening in our collective amongst those of us who are women being called to embody the sacred arts, to embody the healing arts, to to stand as leadership in the world that is deeply and intimately connected to the work that you've been doing. And I'd love you to share a little bit about what even is a scent priestess? What does that even mean? And maybe we can begin there and see where we go. I think that that's a wonderful place to start, my love. Mm. We can trace the holy art of anointing 
which is the oldest laying on of hands, utilizing the gifts of Mother Earth, the holy oils, to be utilized for blessing, consecration, and healing. And this holy art, the sacred art of the anointress, the scent priestess, the holy myrophor, can be traced back for 7,000 years. So within this, every temple mm -hmm. in which we came as a daughter of the goddess, we were the living embodiment of who we served in her name. And so what's happened is we have finally come back to this extraordinary time through our priestessing of deep remembrance. When I started out ooh, 50 years ago, even saying the word priestess, people used to back away from me. <laughs> they would make the sign of the cross. They thought that I was giving them divine unction if I offered them an anointing. They only thought of anointing as being part of the death mysteries. They didn't really understand the full scope of what the spiritual dimension of fragrance is. And that is what is coming back to us now. And that's what we're purveyors of in the Rosa Mystica Mystery School. This extraordinary remembrance. Each one is remembering who they not only were, in terms of ancient times and the great mystery. But how does that weave? How do they co-create with that aspect of themselves now? Mm -hmm. And so I'm in this incredible time of watching all these women wake up, seeing hundreds of women all around the world utilizing the gifts of the earth, of the mother, not just my oils, but many of the the extraordinary oils that are still available. And now we're literally in a crisis. When we have someone, the founder of Floracopia, mm -hmm. David Crow, who is one of the most gifted aromatherapists on the planet as an Ayurvedic teacher and healer today, when he decided to close his doors, it was a huge wake-up call for me insane if we cannot guarantee that we can give you this oil in other words he went and made alliances with farmers saying don't sell your land grow harvest heal with these oils distill your own oils i'll buy them from you when he no longer can do that and can guarantee that we can obtain excellent quality frankincense, sandalwood, myrrh. That's saying to me that when we look at the endangered lists of all of the plant species, not just all of the rest of the species that we are losing, but that we are losing our holy oils. So this feels more important to me than ever before to bring back while we still have them while we still can go into the great mystery through the doorway of working with frankincense, sandalwood, myrrh, and 
the last 40 years, what I've been doing with the oils is sitting with them each individually, understanding that they all have their own unique signature frequency, having that frequency measured on a gas chromograph machine so that our physical body has a vibration, a frequency that rises to meet the frequency of these holy oils. And when you put them together in symphonies, one of the things that I loved that that uh, is a term that you coined for me, my love, is that they become arias <laughs> and that each aria has its own soul notes that it wants to sing us awake with. Mm. So that's kind of the beginnings, you know, of all of this. But we're in a place where we're losing our oral transmissions. We're losing our extraordinary elders that have only passed on the wisdom from teacher to disciple. And this is what we're doing through Rosa Mystica. We are one of the last living mystery schools that honors the oral tradition. Mm -hmm. And I think the thing that is the most important is we feel that it is our holy, sacred duty, our obligation in the highest sense of what that word means to give everything we know, mm -hmm. to impart whatever wisdom that we have gleaned. And then through the beauty of all of those who may be listening here today, each of you has your own vision of who you are and what you're birthing as a gift to the world. And when we come together as a sisterhood of light, the sisterhood of the rose, and those are many other conversations, but as we come together, we grow, we support each other. And Part of the feedback that I love to hear is that this is the first time that women came into a holy circle that they truly felt held, seen, loved. And when I say loved, I'm not talking about because the, the highest aspect of you rose. I'm talking about all of the cycles, everything that the holy oils are going to bring up inside of each energy center in your body. And as that happens, you are going to go into your shadow and we are going to stand as the sacred sisterhood to help you embrace it and to move it from that descent into the light. Mm. So I'm seeing this incredible growth. I mean, I just looked at our Facebook page that was supposed to end in December and here we are almost in February and no one wants to leave it. Mm -hmm. No one wants to go. Mm -hmm. And all of the growth has just been extraordinary. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the, the foundation is that mm -hmm. I've been working with these oils for well over 40 years. They came to me through a lucid embodied dream and my life changed in that moment. I did not realize at the time that I was witnessing an ancient Egyptian Murafor ceremony. And I was taken into this extraordinary temple. As a matter of fact, it was called the Emerald Temple, which is now the uh, 
the birth of what my work has been within the Emerald Temple. They say that it is an old Lemurian word for Mother Earth, being called the Emerald Temple, the Earth as the Emerald Temple. So within this exceptional dream, I got to stand in front of the Holy Mother. There were alabaster urns filled with essential oils. I had two priestesses take these, um, I'm going to call them the Big Dippers, and place them deep inside this urn. And as they lifted them out, the fragrance of sandalwood and blue lotus and spikenard, as these holy oils were poured over my crown, I was losing consciousness. And I was hearing the words from the beautiful mother, the priestess standing before me, saying, may the priestess remember, and may she call her daughters home. And as I was coming out of this experience, those were the words that I was hearing. And when I came back into my body, and it was about three o'clock in the afternoon, and my dear friends were sitting around my bed, holding visual, not knowing why they could not awaken me, but seeing that I was in a very deep state of consciousness, I was unable to speak. And so they handed me a journal and I began writing down anointing formulas from these ancient temples, the temples of Isis, the temple of Dendara, of the Mother Hathor's temple, the ancient uh, Greek temples, when we look at the Pythia, when we look at the Oracle of Delphi, all of these holy oils became a deep remembrance on a soul level for me. And then I had the privilege of sitting with each of them individually and having them tell me their story. Who are you? Who have you been in the pantheon of these temples of great light? So we can look at something as simple as the Queen of Sheba and the Golden Temple of Solomon. And as Sheba comes to the temple, she comes in with the dragon shield maidens who have dragon's blood in their pouches. This extraordinary holy oil that is a DNA soul remembrance oil with a sweetness. I know that I've shared it with you and that you have also become a lover of this particular scent. But they say that, that the frequency is so high in its resonance that even the most insidious act cannot stand, cannot live in the frequency of this beauty and grace of this holy oil. So that's how this all began for me many, many years ago. And I'm just so honored to get to be here with you all today. And I know that for both um, Elaine Kalila and myself, the last few months have been very difficult as we've utilized our priestessing, particularly as sacred passage guides, midwifing death, death doulas. Um, for me, I just lost my mother who would have turned 98 and Kalila, an extraordinary beloved in her life and will enter into those realms, you know, as we continue 
this conversation, but I I feel what's really up in the collective right now is that we need to know how to step in as a sent priestess once again. We need to know how to walk in that room, and you don't have to have my oils to do it. You can walk in with a bottle of lavender, a bottle of rose oil, a bottle of frankincense, and you will change the vibration of all of the people in the room, and particularly in the one who is making the journey home and we don't always get to be with someone as they're passing, which really is what your story mm-hmm. was, my love, mm-hmm. because the death had, had already happened for you. Mm-hmm. But this is where we're going, I think, in the next big part of our journey. I, I think that we need to really look at the fact that our culture, the United States, I'm not speaking... I'm hoping that there are those of you listening who are in Europe and other countries and cultures, but I can tell you that in the United States, we have lost our rituals. We have lost our rite of passage ceremonies for our youth. And so within this, in the reclaiming of who we are and what we want to be devoted to, we're all going to be at someone's passage. We're all going to lose someone. And we need to know how to walk into the room and hold this beauty field that we know how to create and let everyone else take a deep breath in the room saying, oh, thank you, mother. She is here now. Mm. So within that, my darling... (laughs) Wow. I know I'm I'm going on and on. <laughs> no, this is one of the gifts that Diana you bring so beautifully is the storytelling and the oracling and just the painting of the picture. And part of what I want to underscore in what you've just said and and um just to have us all feel together for a moment is, you know, I, I remember the very first time that I I realized and made the connection that the word Christ meant anointed one. Mm-hmm. Isn't that extraordinary? And so I'd love to just unpack before we, we, we sort of share these deeper stories of how we've utilized this ancient art of anointing. I think it would be really powerful for us to speak into what actually anointing is. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I remember when I first came across the word and then I realized that Wow, you know, Jesus Christ wasn't the only Christed being on the planet. In fact, Christ was not his name. It was a title. And it was a title that denoted that he had received the anointing, which meant that he had been awakened to the higher realms of his divinity and his humanity. And that there was a calling forward of divinity in self and in other that was actually at the heart or the root of this anointing ritual. What a profound idea, right? And so for me, there was this deep stirring. I remember when I learned that of the Magdalene story and her anointing of Yeshua, of Jesus in the Bible, and which is, you know, is throughout the whole Bible, these instances of anointing that are reported. But that in her anointing, she actually was the priestess 
that denoted him becoming the Christ and her in turn becoming the Magdalene, which translates to tower of strength or watchtower or great cosmic portal is lots of words that we could use in the place of Magdalene. So I think it really powerful because I know a lot of people use oils and a lot of people use oils for aromatherapy and for medicinal purposes. And, yes. You yeah. know, and there's all the layers of these amazing plant allies. But what does it mean to use them as a spiritual tool as an anointing priestess? Maybe you can speak into that from your perspective. Beautiful, beautiful question. So let us now honor aromatherapy because it has been utilized for all of these thousands of years for health and for healing. And now let's take it a step further. There is no ancient temple that you will find or study that did not have their own temple keepers of specific holy oils that were innately used in that temple. And of course, depending on where the uh, temple was, depended on what could be grown, what could be harvested, what could be distilled. So if we go back and we look at the fact that we are talking again about the spiritual dimension of fragrance, what did these ancient wise women know? What are the gifts of the earth that they left behind for us to discover as tools for remembrance? So when we look within uh, that, we are, let's just take the temple of Dendara, for example. This is Mother Hathor's temple in Egypt. And Anointing was happening there simultaneously, because I want to come back to the Magdalene, and I want us to really understand, I want us to first look at the Magdalene, Mary, Miriam, as a Hebrew woman. I want you to remember that she held the honor and the dignity of coming through the Benjamin line of Judaism, where Yeshua, Jesus, came through the line of David, the Davidic line. And these are two holy, ancient lineages, bloodlines, that needed to cross. So we have a lot of speculation um, in terms of who Miriam, who the Magdalene as a Jewess was to this extraordinary rabbi, this teacher of the way of love. And within this, Mother Mary, her mother, grandmother Anna, came from the lineage of the Essenes. And the Essenes came into Alexandria, and they came to the great lineage of the mystical tradition of Judaism, which was called the Therapeutai. And the Therapeutai, if you can think of Sufis, if you can think of the beauty of the whirling dervishes, of those that give themselves totally in devotion to the divine, 
I want you to think that these women and these men knew the specific anointing oils to place on their body that would bring them as close as they could in their physical body to their divinity that would activate this divinity within them. So we have Grandmother Anna, this extraordinary Essene um, Jewess who sees angels who has actual dialogues with angels, the angel of air, the angel of fire. She is told to prepare her womb. How does she prepare her womb? She prepares it with the holy oils, the holy oils that have been used in Egypt, the holy oils that have been used in India. Because as we trace all of these lineages, we find remnants, we find clues in the ancient palm leaf books that were left to the different gurus in India. They talk about Mother Divine. They talk about Mother Mary traveling with her enlightened son, this extraordinary young man, receiving the teachings through the holy oils receiving the oils of Champaka, the oils of Ecstatus Divinitus, the oil that takes you as far as it can into the heart of the goddess. And what would have happened if you had come into those temples? You would have been anointed with Elang, Elang, which is called the temple of sensuality, the oil that makes the energy of the kundalini move up your spine and out your crown and through your holy body and through the holy oils, you initiate the God, the male. He can find the divine feminine inside of himself through you as the goddess of that particular temple. So we have, we come back to the Magdalene. We come back to the fact that she knew that her beloved before the Passover, she knew, he knew that the Romans were not going to let him stand. King Herod was not going to let this powerful man that was saying, you don't need an intermediary to get to my father. You need to come home to yourself. And the ancient Jewish women, the Jewess, had already worked. They had been working for many, many years. There is a word, it is called tahara. And as the taharas, they were shavra kadeshas. And that means they were trained. Grandmother Anna trained her daughter, Mother Mary, who I believed trained Mary Magdalene. She trained Miriam how to be a Shevra Kadesha. And that means one who knows how to wash, how to prepare, and how to anoint the body with holy oils. And my belief is that she came with Mother Mary as the teacher of both Yeshua and the Magdalene. 
into Alexandria, into the great temples of Isis and the temples of Hathor, as well as the Therapeutae. And there, they not only blended the teachings of how they learned to work with the holy oils to bring forth, there was something else in, in the great Kabbalistic mystical teachings of Judaism. There was what was called the pearl body, the robe of light, the Merkaba energy. That is what Magdalene gave to Yeshua in her profound gnosis of this anointing for him. So I want you to imagine, in my lineage, born as a Jewish woman, in all of my historical study, and no one has to believe what I believe, I cannot imagine that unless Magdalene had been this deep, deep, deep beloved of Yeshua, or I will even propose marriage, how would she have been allowed, a woman allowed to touch a rabbi or to touch his feet or to pour oil over his head? So I think that we have a lot of things in the patriarchy that um, we know that the Bible hasn't been very kind to women. And when we look at the lost Gnostic texts, when we begin to look and we pull together all of this information that's been there in plain sight, and there have been the words for those who have eyes to see and those who have ears to hear, these were words that the rabbis spoke, then it comes in plain sight and we remember. And what did the Magdalene remember? The holy oil of spikenard, and I want you to understand that the reason you don't see this as one of the nine sacred oils of the Egyptians is because spikenard was not grown in Egypt. It came from Tibet or Nepal. It was brought, it was made into an unguent, which means that it came not as a liquid, but had to be dissolved in, in a form of a wax. It came in a beautiful wooden box. And that box of spikenard, whose holy name is Compassion Remembered, and when we work with that holy oil, my loves, if spikenard is the oil that chooses you to become its temple keeper, then I promise you that the love that the Magdalene felt for Yeshua all of that energy, all of that magnificence of frequency, everything that became the Christ that came through her is the love that you are going to remember and feel for yourself. So within this, here is a woman who has spikenard and in those days and it's very difficult to find and i share it from my own private stash whenever i can find it spikenard in those days was the most beautiful color of emerald green that you could imagine the color of the heart center and compassion remembered 
slowed down his nervous system because it is one thing to know that they are coming for you and that the way that they um, inflicted their Roman pain was through crucifixion. This wasn't the only person who got crucified. He was sadly the one that we needed on the planet the most to help us evolve. And it got taken into very, very different forms of what his teachings and what her teachings really were and really are. And so she anoints him. She anoints his feet. She weeps. She takes her beautiful hair and she wipes his feet with her hair, which is something that a Hebrew woman who is married would have done. It is an act of love and devotion. And part of the Jewish heritage was when you arrived at the home of whoever it was that you had now traveled to see, your feet were washed. Your hands were washed. And holy oils were anointed on your body. This was a custom. You did not sign your marriage agreement without being fully anointed. You were not considered holy and married in the eyes of the divine unless this act had been consecrated. And so we have this extraordinary woman who not only anoints his feet, but pours the rest of the oil with some of the disciples grumbling, saying, why is she using this holy oil that is so expensive? It would, would have cost a minimum of a year's worth of wages. How is she using that on the rabbi? And he says to her, this is an act that will be remembered throughout history. This act of devotion that she is giving me now because she's preparing his body for what will come. And in the Rosa Mystica Mystery School, we have one whole, it's not just a class. It's a month of remembrance of yourself as the Magdalene who never left his side, who walked the walk and who held the energy, not just as he carried the cross through the street, but who with his mother, Mother Mary, who with Mary Salome, who was Mary of Cleos? Who were these Marys that stood at the foot of the cross when the disciples weren't there? They were terrified that they were going to be the next ones caught to be crucified. They ran away. Did the women run away? No. They stood there. And who was it who held the grail cup under the blood and caught the, the, the blood of Christ? In the cup. So it was the Magdalene, my loves, 
Who is the one that he shows himself to? Who is sitting doing the vigil of a Murafor? Mm-hmm. Not just the vigil of a Hebrew woman who was a Shevra Kadesha. No, she had been trained further. She had been trained deeper into the mysteries. Mm-hmm. And these are some of the things that we're going to get to talk about in, in our wonderful talk um, this <laughs> particular week about who are mm-hmm. How do they live in us now? I could just, as we always say, I could feel the visceral remembrance of all of these lineages that you're speaking about, Diana. And part of what I, I, I want to just weave in mm-hmm. um, at this moment is, you know, as a modern day woman living in this moment in history, right, where we are aware that we are midwifing a world, where we are facing extraordinary mm-hmm. levels of personal and collective catastrophe, tragedy, kinds of experiences that we're having to process through our bodies, through our psyches, through our nervous systems in a way that is extraordinary. And I was just reflecting on this today around the post-COVID era, around mm-hmm. this feeling that I have in my own body that, you know, we're we're two years away now from the apex of that experience. Not that it's not still here, it's still here, but from the intensity. Mm-hmm. And that coming back into our bodies as a collective is part of what I feel is beginning to happen, that there's a crashing back into our bodies from the trauma, from the the fear, from the activation, from all of that. And one of the things that I know about the practice of anointing and self-blessing and self-consecration is this capacity that those oils and the act of having placing the hands on the body in this in this incredible recognition of our humanity and our divinity and the honoring of who we are not just as these physical bodies but as soul beings that is intrinsic to the anointing practice that for me i just made up a blend the other day for my beloved and myself and i happen to be the temple keeper of the Rosa Mystica, which is this incredible blend of three roses. And my beloved is a temple keeper of frankincense. He is an, an immortal beloved. Um, and, and so I, I, on the, the last full moon, I made a blend of frankincense and Rosa Mystica. Mm-hmm. Um, that I actually ended up adding a couple of other things that wanted to be in there together. Dragon's blood being one of them. Mm. Interesting that you brought that up today. And I made it with the intention of that full moon in Cancer, that deep mothering, Mm. that deep place of connection into this need for self-love, for receiving of nurturance. And I've been using it ever since at night when we go to bed, anointing him, anointing myself before we go to bed. And what I can say about these kinds of practices, what, what we're really empowering, and I think what I've been really empowered with as a Scent Priestess, is to use these, these moments of heightened magic where we know astrologically mm-hmm. there is a portal, right? Sealing it in the oil, which is part of what I believe the Magdalene would have done and 
you know, Mary before her and Anna to, because we're sealing an intention, right? Yes. That oil that we're then using as a seal on the body. And this whole idea of the seven seals and the seven seals of Solomon, yes. the seven chakras, right? There, there's a way in which we're, we're intuitively keying into a very ancient practice, but that is so utterly relevant to who we are now, to what we're being called to. And I just want to share a, a little bit of the story that you presenced, you know, because we've both been through such a tremendous grief portal the last few moons, personally. Um, on Samhain of last year, which was October 31st, just after October 31st, I learned that a former beloved of mine, a partner of mine that I had lived with for many, many years when I was in my 30s, who had chosen to take his own life. I found out on November 3rd. It was in that horrifying eclipse portal that we mm. went through, mm. which was so intense. Well, long story short, there's a lot of pieces to this story. What I realized was that this beloved was from his, in his process of how he chose to take his life, which was very difficult for me to bear, was also initiating me into mm -hmm. a level of my own priestessing and my own sent priestessing, and to use the word mirror for, that I was being called to walk my talk. Mm -hmm. right? Here I was, we had literally just taught a class on this place, this story that you have told about Mary Magdalene with Yeshua and her anointing of him before he passed and after he passed and being there to assist him in his passage. We had just shared that class and two days later, this happened. Mm -hmm. And I was called to go to the funeral home where this beloved of mine was, and I knew that he didn't have anybody who was close into him. He wasn't somebody who had another partner um, for many years. And I was called to go with his very best friend, and I took another priestess sister with me, and I took the oils of Rosa Mystica, and I took the oils of release and passage and peace, which are the, the three oil blends that we work with in the death and dying portals. And I went to that funeral home, which was in of itself a bit of a horrifying experience because mm. it was that it was literally a bunker. It was like a like a uh, a trailer. It was the I called it the bargain basement crematorium, which is exactly what it felt like. And it was kind of comical and kind of horrifying. You know, those moments where you're like the mundane and the sacred are just kind of like colliding into yeah. each other. Yeah. And um, I went into the room where he was lying and he, he had not been prepared for death, right? There was no bathing or washing of his body. He hadn't been embalmed. And so my instruction from the funeral director was, you are not able to touch his body. And all I could see was his face. The blanket was right up around his neck. And I knew that I was going not just as his former beloved, but I was going as priestess to tend mm -hmm. to this soul who had left his body in a very traumatic way. 
and to offer the prayers that I've been trained to give, to bring the oils. And in the absence of being able to anoint his body, I went to the crown of his head, which is I could reach. And I unstoppered the bottle and I poured an entire bottle of Rosa Mystica mm -hmm. over his crown. And in that moment, there was an absolute peace and grace that came into the room. I could feel him there. I could feel him being so grateful. I started to sing a song that I had no idea what it was that I was singing. I had everyone else who was in the room with me, there were three of us, sing together. I said, it doesn't matter what you want or don't want or don't think, just allow yourself to sing him a lullaby. And we stayed with him for about an hour in that room, just being with him, with the scent of the Rosa Mystica, the scent of the release oils. And I could feel the power of that ritual and him having been waited, him waiting, literally waiting mm -hmm. for me to go mm -hmm. to do that. Mm -hmm. Like he was not going to begin his voyage. You know, and there was many other moments along the way where I was called to come and hold the space after his ashes had been collected from the crematorium to bless the urn, to place oils in the urn. You know, there was all of these pieces. And what I know to be true, Diana, is, is that without having the knowledge that I had, I would have had no idea how to meet that moment. I would have had no idea. I would have been terrified to meet that moment because we've been taught to be so scared of death mm -hmm. and we've been taught to be scared of dead bodies and the ghosts and the, you know, the, the just, just all of it. And what I was really aware of was, wow, what if every woman was aware of and knew how to and was equipped with this knowledge not just in death, but in life, to offer this kind of ministry to her family, to her children, to her beloved, to her mother, to her father, just as you did midwifing your mother. And so there's something very, very powerful about this path that is so simple and yet so incredibly profound. And I just wanted to share that because some of you listening may be thinking, well, what is this to do with who I am now? These are ancient <laughs> stories, right? <laughs> and what I'm saying is, and I could tell you many, many, many more stories about how I have witnessed people's lives change after they've been anointed. <laughs> so I wanted to just invite you to share a little bit about what you learned, even after all these years of being a death doula, a transition priestess to others. What did you really, what was your real takeaway from your experience with your beloved mama who just passed? The, the reality for me mm. is, is this. We are at this pivotal point of making a choice. It's a personal choice within each of us in terms of how are we going to meet the next moment? And what we are seeing is a lot of disintegration. So how can we also see the uplifting of humanity? 
And it is as a sent priestess, as a holy anointer, as somebody who's been doing this work really alone until just the last five to ten years, um, of seeing the profound effects of what happens when anointing oils are laid on the body. Mm-hmm. And so in in the experience of I don't want to limit anyone to thinking that we're using holy oils just for death. Holy oils can be used, I mean, in a magnificent way to help you while you're birthing. The oil of myrrh, the oil of neroli, the oil of rose are all wonderful uterine stimulants to help your labor go much easier. So as a priestess of scent, as an anointer, this is holy work that you do from birth, and you midwife people from birth all the way to death. And I had an experience before my mother passed, and I'm going to make this this brief, but where we never know where the oil may be called for us to use or where we are going to be called into doing the holy work. Because once you take that vow within yourself that says, I am committed to becoming the highest, the very best version of myself that I can be in this lifetime, let me serve, and not all of you are comfortable in in service to others, but we are all, I think, more comfortable perhaps in our own awakening or even in service to self. Both are flip sides of the same coin. But before this happened with my mother, I had an experience of a woman that I didn't know well that I had met in the market. And I had I had taken her home one time. Every time we saw each other over a 16-year time period, it was hello. We knew each other's names. Oh, your hair is so pretty today. Isn't that a lovely jacket? It was surface. And yet, I walked out of the market, and she was standing at the her cart right outside the door when I saw a lightning bolt of energy descend into her crown chakra, and she had a stroke before me. As I got to her and held her in my arms, I had the experience of what I needed to do to midwife her. She always wore a little gold cross. I knew Mother Mary was the one she wanted me to call on in that moment. What I saw was when the ambulance came, when the police came and the fire department, because I wasn't wearing the collar of a priest, I was pushed so far out of the way and so to the back of the bus. But the moments that I had with her, the fact that her soul called my soul present in that moment, I was supposed to go to the market hours earlier got detained, actually was a little upset about being detained, and yet only by this act did I realize that I was there at the perfect moment. 
that our soul is being guided and led by the divine, and we are being asked to listen. And I think that's what this big part of the Magdalene's awakening inside of us is all about, not just as an archetype, not just as an ancient woman, but as an informed energy of divine love through anointing and devotion now. That's what we're bringing through with her. And what I saw with my mother was how broken our system truly is. My mother and I, my mother at 98 was completely alive in her mind. Her body had started shutting down, but you could have any conversation on any level of consciousness with my mother and she could completely meet me and greet me there. I spoke to her every single night. I called her between seven and eight o'clock at night. And we usually talked for about an hour. And it was always deep, profound wisdom. One of the things that we had been talking about was preparing her for leaving her body. And I always told her, if I'm in this country, when it happens, of course, you can depend I will be by your side. It never occurred to me that with all of the the measures that I had to take care of her established in the house, cameras in every room, the watch on the arm that is, um, I can't think of what it is, but you push the button and it, you know, it's the life alert thing. I had Alexa in every room that all she had to do is say, Alexa, call 911. I thought I was really smart that I had this all together. I was not prepared for the fact that she was struck so quickly that she wasn't seen in the camera as the stroke hit her body. And she wasn't discovered for hours later. I had a DNR in place. What needed to happen was for that DNR to have been respected. It was not respected. She was taken to the hospital where she was put through a four-hour surgery in her brain. When she came out of it, she could no longer have any speech, but she knew who I was. It took me 10 hours to get to the hospital. It was Christmas Eve day driving from L.A., excuse me, from San Francisco to L.A. Um, it took me a long time to get there. But I could hold her hand. She's terrified because she cannot speak. She can barely say the words. That was as much as she could get out. And I saw how the system failed me, how somehow it wasn't enough because the doctors still believe they must save us. They must do whatever it takes, even when you're going to be 98 years old. And then when I spoke with the doctor, he said, well, we can put a feeding tube in. I said, my mother doesn't want a feeding tube. My mother didn't want any of this. She wanted to be home and she wanted me to climb in bed with her and hold her until her body shut down and she passed. So I was now stuck with the hospital and then moving her from room to room until I could get hospice on board and until I could get her to come home. 
it was a heartbreaking experience for me. One of the things, and I want to be really clear, hospice is an incredible gift in all of our lives. It is also a private business that anyone can be in for profit. It is not regulated in the way I feel it needs to be regulated. And so within this, I encountered a lot of what I felt was unconscious behavior towards someone who is in the last moments of their life and are making a transition within themselves. I had the privilege of studying with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross in my youth. During that time was the huge AIDS epidemic where children were literally being left by their own families and being abandoned in hospitals all across the country. And she started what was called Shanti Nalaya House of Peace, where she was bringing all of these children together to have a death with dignity. Within this, it is Elizabeth that brought hospice to the United States. And God bless them. But the methodology is let's give as much morphine as possible so you feel absolutely no pain. And let's keep giving you this morphine, which I think, or many, takes you into, pardon me for saying it, the hell realms. I watched that with my mother as she was terrified fighting this unforeseen whatever the energy was from the morphine, trying to pull tubes out of her, her body. She got the strength of three people and she was paralyzed on one side of her body. And I had to climb into the hospital bed to hold her, to keep her from injuring herself. So it was a for me, with all the deaths, the beautiful deaths that I have attended, the peaceful, gorgeous, graceful passages, for me to have this kind of an experience with my own mother was shocking to me. And I felt that my work and my role needs to change now. I want to talk with hospice. I want to I want all of us, and this is part of the Rosa Mystica teachings, and this is part of when we work as Murafors and you step in to the in-person training, which isn't for everyone, and not everyone is being called to this, but for those of you who have this sense that death and dying is part of your work here in the world, then there is a spiritual practice through anointing that cultures have different titles on. The In India, we would call it the Mahasamadhi. In English, I would call it dissolving into radiance. It is a spiritual practice that all of us are going to greet our death. How do we want to greet it? And I think that we need to have different forms that we are very certain. I, I can only speak for myself. If there is excruciating pain, of course, I want to be helped in whatever can happen through the pain. But I want to greet the moment. 
I want to be able, if possible, to be propped up in my bed, to have my eyes wide open. I only know of what George Harrison and what Steve Jobs said as they were able to greet the moment of, oh, wow. So I think that we're taking that away from people by knocking them out, by knocking them unconscious. And I want to delve more into that aspect of the mystery. Um, and I certainly don't know all the answers and I'm not here. God bless hospice for coming and helping with my mother. I don't mean it um, in, in that, you know, negative uh, connotation, but I think that together as sent priestesses, we can do more. And the one thing that happened being that as a Shevra Kadesha, I do know how to wash and prepare the body. And I anointed my mother over and over and over again during her, her passing, which made a difference every time the oils came on her body. I watched her go down deeper and deeper into her own place of transformation. I knew she could hear me. And one of the biggest mistakes that we make we put people in hospital rooms with televisions blaring and people having conversations as if they aren't there. This is their holy moment. And I want to prepare as many of you as possible in the ancient traditions and how this ancient art form of the kiss of spirit on the body of anointing as a devotional spiritual practice of 7,000 years is coming back. It's come back. And it first came back just as medicinal aromatherapy, but now we're bringing it back into the spiritual dimension of fragrance. Ooh. 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 Speak it. <laughs> I really witnessed the shift in you, darling. I witnessed the the awareness of having had that experience firsthand and what you've had to metabolize in your own body as one who has attended so many passings and then to have your own mother go through that brutality in her last moments of being on this planet must have been so difficult for you to navigate because of what you desired for her. And then I reflect right on the the initiation of that for you, of her death and what she brought to you in her passing that has deepened even further your understanding of what, of what happens and how to, how it needs to be shifted on a systemic level. I really, really believe that e yeah. even with the, she was a lovely person. I'm not trying to put this yeah. nurse down and the woman who came to help bathe um, my my mother the day before uh, mm. her actual um, passing. And you may think, well, why do we wash the body again? Because the body has gone through such a labor for the soul to depart. It's just like birth. Yeah. And we need to honor this body as the temple of grace that held this remarkable being, whoever it is who mm -hmm. who is in their their 
passing. Mm. And my mother gave me that great gift of saying, wow, there is a whole other way. Mm. I also, everyone has the different belief. Do you want to be cremated? Do you want your body laid you know, just in linen, in the ground. I mean, there are all kinds of new, you can become a tree now. There's different compostable methods. There's all kinds of of, of different realities um, that are out there. But one of the things that really touched me mm. as an Orthodox Jewish uh, woman, how my mother had been brought up, her burial was at Mount Sinai Memorial Fun- Funerary Home. Mm. And when I came in there, and I had prepared her body, and she was wrapped in a beautiful, deep lavender, gold, and turquoise sari that I had, uh, I, I had enshrouded her after all the holy oils, bottles of holy oils had been poured on her, and she had been been bathed. And I put her in her favorite little uh, dress that she wanted to wear. Then she was wrapped in this gorgeous sari, and part of it came up above her mm. crown and then we took rose petals and we put mm. the roses all around her and when they came to collect her body they said well where are the clothes you want me to bring to for them to change her in in the mortuary and i said oh no 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 she isn't to be touched she is fully prepared no one is to touch her at all so then when i went to identify the body which they make you do before a burial when we opened the casket, there was this beautiful ancient priestess laying there, smelling of rose oil and blue lotus and frankincense and all of the different holy oils that take us home. Mm. And the funeral director had said to me, well, you have to have a rabbi. And I said, for the first time in my life, we don't need a rabbi because I am a priestess. And I am the rabbi here conducting this ceremony. When we were finished, the funeral director and the two people who were helping, because we had this also videoed going out and someone else was doing the music in Mm. in the background, the three of them came out from the back room and they were sobbing. They had Mm. tears running down their face and they embraced me. And they said, we have never seen a body prepared so beautifully. And we have never seen a memorial service that honored the person in this way. And they understood how generally Mm. we have someone who didn't even know you, who came in and conducted your ceremony. When it is time my beloved sisters, for us to rise as the priestesses that we are and to say, we are priestesses. And I don't want to be shoved away from anyone who passes ever again because I'm not a man with a collar. I want to be honored for who I am as the priestess. Mm. So it also taught me that I also, in my purse, There are anointing oils. I will never, ever leave my house without having anointing oils on me because you don't know when you are going to be called into service of love. Wow. You know, there, it's so profound to hear you speak of that, Diana. And, and, you know, 
One of the things that you said is, is you know, this these anointing oils and working with the ancient art of anointing is a rite of passage also yes. at any point in our lives that we are seeking to to go through the cycle of life and death and rebirth in life, which happens so many times, right? Where we are going through deep levels of change and loss and separation. You know, when we end a marriage or go through a loss of a child. I mean, I could tell you so many experiences where I have received anointings that have have literally midwifed me through from one phase of my life to another, or I have witnessed others receiving information and recognition and remembrance of who they actually are through an anointing. And so um, I just want to say that, you know, I could never have imagined that this was where this path would take me personally. And I am so honored that I get to walk beside you and to learn from mm-hmm. you and mm-hmm. to be with you and all of the women that we get to work with and get to witness. Um, and, and, and just that this is being remembered, you know, in our, in our lifetime. And that you are here having remembered it and that we are part of a legacy of that remembrance. So what I want to say to you all, if you're listening here right now and you're like, this is me, (laughs) you can find out more about what we're up to in the Rosa Mystica Mystery School by going to priestesspresence.com. There's a whole page around Rosa Mystica there. And it just so happens as you're listening to this, if you're listening to this in the week of January 20th, then um, we are actually opening the doors for our 2023 registration right now for sisters who are being called to come and study with us for the next year and to receive these anointing oils into your life and to begin to unlock the power and the secrets of that in your own being. So... If that is you, you can click the link below this podcast and you will receive what you need to know. If you want to know where the website is, it's priestesspresence.com backslash Rosa Mystica Mystery School. And you can go to that page, but the page is linked below this podcast. Diana, I can't tell you how honored I am and how excited I am for this work to continue to develop. And for all of you who are saying, yes, this is me, we look forward to greeting you in whatever way um, that you are called to be with us and to deepen your own understanding of how you're being called forward at this time. With that said, I will return with another Red Podcast very shortly to you, leading you into the realms of seeing how we as women are being called back into positions of leadership and spiritual leadership specifically. You know, mm-hmm. that story about the dog collar and that feeling, I I really, really get that, Diana. And that is a profound recognition of how do we bring this back into the world so that it can be respected. And that is a really big piece of the work that we're all up to, reclaiming the feminine face of God, the feminine place of spiritual authority and ritual and ceremony. So if that's you, my loves, then you might be called to be with us. Beyond that, I'll speak to you all soon. And I'm just sending you so much love. Blessings, blessings, blessings. Thank you, Diana. Thank you, loves. I want to thank you for listening to this episode of The Red Podcast. 
it's been an honor to have you here with us. As red women, we are here leading from the edges of our own evolution, birthing new worlds into being through our bodies, our hearts, our minds, and our beautiful presence. If you would like to be in contact with me, I love hearing from you. You can find me on Instagram at elaine.kalila or over on my website, elainekalila.com. And lastly, I'd like to invite you, if you loved this episode, to go ahead and share this with someone that you think might enjoy it too. It's through us sharing our hearts with one another and inspiring one another that we reveal our red, that evolutionary edge that is just waiting to be fully expressed in all aspects of our world. Until next time, many, many blessings. <laughs>